0: News Center.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9. And streaming at AM 1290, KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and at Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution.
2: Hi Neil, how are you today?
1: I'm good, but my hair got messed up in the wind.
2: <laughs> well, good thing this is radio then, right?
1: Well, that's a good point. So I should be I should be okay then, right? <laughs>
2: I I think it will only affect your wife, so so that's a that's a good thing.
1: Okay, good. So uh, by any chance, do we have guests today? We
2: do. We have great guests today. We have with us um, Aaron Edelheit, who is an investor, entrepreneur, and a board member of Dignity Moves, and Marge Caffarelli a real estate developer and chief real estate officer at Dignity Moves. So we're really excited that you're both here and to learn more about Dignity
3: Moves. Thank you, Diane. Yeah,
0: thanks for having us. So
1: the first article we have is from the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled, Small Banks are Losing to Big Banks. The 25 largest U.S. banks in the last two weeks have gained $120 billion in deposits according to the Federal Reserve data. And the uh, loss came from 108 billion that small banks, that is banks below the 25 largest banks lost. And what this is, is whether it makes sense intellectually or not, is a flight to safety. And as a result, community banks and smaller banks are losing deposits. And the implication for that is that uh, U.S. banks, the big ones, don't uh, tend to make l- local loans. And that's what the value is of community banking. And so as bank deposits fall in the uh, smaller banks, there's a risk that it's going to cut off uh, needed funds for home purchases, for small business development. And at the same time, in order to maintain even the declining Uh, deposits, they're going to be forced to raise interest rates to keep the uh, cash that uh, depositors have more attractive for those depositors. And that's going to put a profit squeeze on the smaller banks, which in turn will even further reduce the uh, ability for them to support local businesses.
2: Well, and I also think it's important to note that this was really a wake up call for depositors to really make sure that they're under the FDIC limits in the traditional bank sweep money markets, which bank sweep basically means that you're on the balance sheet of whatever bank there is. And I think why we're seeing such a dichotomy between the real big banks that were deemed in 2008 too big to fail is the sizable difference in regulation between the two of what they need to do to prove to the government that they're protecting their investors and that they can continue to be solvent. You know, Silicon Valley Bank continues to haunt people because of poor management decisions. They were leveraged fifteen times. They they made poor management decisions that didn't protect the investors nor the depositors. So I, I think, as with anything, the pendulum will swing back, but it's going to be a it's going to put these small community banks into a real squeeze for the short term.
1: And speaking of Silicon Valley Bank, the next article is. Entitled "As Interest Rates Rose, uh, Banks Did a Balance Sheet Switcheroo," and what the article talks about is how, uh, when the crisis hit, uh, many institutions, including Schwab and PNC Financial, uh, recategorized their bond portfolio from whole uh, to maturity. Uh, excuse me, from available for sale to hold to maturity. As a result, they weren't forced to write down the value of the bonds, which you have to, um, if you are in a position where you're saying you're going to sell. And so to make their uh, balance sheets look better, they just simply recategorize their bond portfolio.
2: Well, I think that that would be a natural course of of business because all of them would find themselves in in a similar uh, situation on their balance sheet if they had to mark to market all of those long term treasuries.
1: And, that and was the next and, and,
2: the rapid rise of interest rates.
1: And, and the next article is is further digging into the SVP collapse. Is that uh, many of the, uh, the banks, uh, the big banks, had what was what's called hung H U N G debt which is debt that they held uh, because they did these leverage buyout deals, not necessarily with banks, with just regular companies. And because uh, of the financial crisis and higher interest rates, they weren't able to sell uh, to uh, uh, relieve their balance sheets from these uh, loans that they wrote. They usually write loans and then they sell them to other institutions, but they've been stuck with, and it's called hung debt, And as a result of the fear that's taking place, they're not able to sell that debt, which further exacerbates the problem of lending. Because with uh, so much uh, uh, unmarketable, unmarked down yet debt, uh, they're less likely to lend. Um, The next article is um, entitled, it's heard on the street on the Wall Street Journal, Ignorance Really is Bliss when it comes to investing. And it begins, which I like the beginning of this article, it says, the opening shot in Animal House uh, pans across the campus of idyllic Faber College, focusing on a statue the founder inscribed with the words, knowledge is good. Well, a article, the article talks about a study uh, uh, done by a psycho- psychologist, Paul Slovak. And, and what he did is he gathered eight uh, handicappers to guess the outcome of 40 actual horse races. And what he did is he began by saying, I'm gonna give you five pieces of information about these horses, and then I want you to handicap the race. And the handicap handicappers uh, were 17% successful versus 10%, which would have been the random result. Then they said to them, okay, we're going to give you, instead of five, um, Pieces of information. We're going to give you forty pieces of information, and their conviction rose from what they had with five from thirty-four percent to thirty-four percent, from seventeen percent, and their accuracy stayed exactly the same at seventeen percent. So the the moral of this study, and what the article is talking about, is that too many pieces of information that you may be getting from all kinds of sources can actually make you a worse investor than you would think by simply taking the most important uh, things and focusing on them.
2: That's interesting because that article goes hand in hand with about the same time I was getting into the financial advisory world. You know, There was all this push that there was going to be no need for financial advisors or people because information was readily available and people could do it themselves. And you know, you really could get anything online. It Gone were the days where you needed the books of the prospectuses sent to you. And so I, I think what, what we found was that the more information out there, the harder it is to really, you know, cut through all the noise and find the nuggets of information.
1: Uh, the next article is from the New York Times, the personal finance section, and it's talking about the rise of check fraud. And check fraud is essentially... Uh, stealing envelopes from people's mailboxes and what are quote unquote washing the checks that is using technology to wipe out the payer and, uh, the, uh, the name of the, uh, of the owner of the account and, and forging checks. And apparently it's become a, a very big business and they're even beginning to, uh, steal, uh, right from, uh, in front of post offices. So, um, the idea that you know once you put your check in a postal box and now i know for younger people they don't know what a check is but for our older people uh putting a, a check in the mail does not necessarily mean it's going to get there and it's actually turning into a, a, a big problem
4: it's
2: interesting uh, i was at a um, conference where i got to go see frank abagnale, abagnale you know the um the fraudster that the movie catch me if you can was based upon and his whole philosophy was you should never write a check under any circumstances you should never ever ever write a check you should pay for everything electronically or on your credit card as a protection for yourself
5: yeah because
2: think, of that, that washing
1: yeah my children look at me when i write a check and they ask me what i'm doing and i you know i that's it's as you, i guess as you're as old as i am you still write checks which is stupid uh the next article is called inflation protection funds struggle to perform as advertised. And this is sort of discouraging. There are uh, funds that advertise themselves, exchange-traded funds that advertise themselves as uh, designed to protect against inflation, i.e. you may lose a little bit on the upside, but you won't be hit by inflation. And um, the largest of the funds is the $53 billion Vanguard short-term tips fund. It is down 4.3% this year, which is obviously worse than the stock market. And the uh, results for almost every large uh, ETF protection fund is down versus the stock market. And it's simply, not simply, but the article essentially says that these funds used hedges um, that were ill-conceived and just didn't work. So people who invested in these gave up some of the upside, actually didn't get any protection on the downside. And... uh, and that's, I think that's it. We have to go to break. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. The Santa Barbara Wildlife Care Network has been saving wildlife in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties since 1988. Here's Ariana Katovich.
3: Santa Barbara Wildlife Care Network serves to rescue, rehabilitate, and return to the wild sick, injured, orphaned, or oil-impaired wild birds, reptiles, and small mammals in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties. We have a helpline that people can call whenever they have any question about any wild animal that they encounter. The helpline is 805-681-1080. Our website is sbwcn.org. Really, I think what our mission is is to help human beings coexist with wildlife and when they're not coexisting to step in and be a safety net for those animals.
1: To learn more about the Santa Barbara Wildlife Care Network go to sbwcn.org and that helpline number is 805-681-1080. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner.
2: And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we're in for a real treat today. We're talking about Dignity Moves with board member Aaron Edelheit and Chief Real Estate Officer Marge Caffarelli. So thank you both for being here. So let's start with the obvious question of what is Dignity Moves and, and what does it do?
0: So I'll take that. Um, so Dignity Moves really is the, uh, it's a nonprofit but how it was started is by a group of business people that were trying to figure out a way to bring innovative solutions to the homelessness crisis. And what I'd have you think about Dignity Moves now is that it is the from this small working group to now this uh, flourishing nonprofit organization that has figured out a way to move with speed and cost-effectively to build um, dignified uh, tiny home communities for the homeless, and specifically raise the money philanthropically so that you could leverage government dollars to pay for the individualized wraparound, mental health, uh, case management, addiction services, so that you can transition people from being unsheltered, living on the streets, uh, to, um, uh, to to basically permanent stable housing.
2: So that seems like it's a, you know, a, a public-private partnership, which is always challenging and somewhat new, you know, to have that public piece coupled with um, private uh, business. So how are you finding that working? And what are the biggest challenges that you've faced so far?
0: It's a great question. Marge, I don't know if you want to take this one.
3: Well, so, you know, it is a great question. And I think what we're finding is that let's use the, let's use Santa Barbara County as an example. Santa Barbara in Santa Barbara County, we're building five projects total. And the County is putting in dollars on specific projects, but but dignity moves is raising 19 million dollars toward that effort. And so you know, it really is a public-private partnership of, of sorts. And what we're also finding when you partner with a community with a, a a county or a city, they are incentivized as well to see these projects through. So, you know, we're able to use emergency building codes for some of our projects because they're called pop-ups. And that means that jurisdictionally cities and counties can decide, you know, how far to go with building codes as long as, you know, life safety issues are met. There are certain things that we don't have to do in these various uh, communities. So the projects become simpler and faster as a result of the partnerships. And we've had
0: a great... We've had a great experience with Santa Barbara County. They have been phenomenal partners. For our first project, despite COVID, labor shortages and supply chain, we built our projects and housed people in nine months. And the county self permitted in seven days. And so part of what's going on that's so fantastic is we're leveraging kind of the best parts of the public and private sphere. You know, government, as many of us know, by just reading the news on any big infrastructure project, really struggles to build for a lot of reasons. But government is very good at like paying for services and um, for, you know, handling money and for permitting and lots of things like that. So the way I view Dignity Moves and what's so exciting is if someone like Marge, who has all of this experience and we can just be kind of the traditional developer, but from a nonprofit, and be an accelerant. So we can just go, and then we built the project, and we hand it over to the government, and then the experts who are the service providers, and in this case, in our project in Santa Barbara is Good Samaritan, who know how to uh, really work with the homeless and treat them on an individualized basis and help them stabilize and get them to to uh, permanent housing, so we're really we're really leveraging each other, um, and the government is giving basically leasing us land for basically a dollar. So we're leveraging land that's underutilized or uh, empty, and then we're bringing in phila- philant- uh, philanthropic dollars. The government's bringing in dollars for the services, and it's just this wonderful thing where you have you know, one plus one equals like five or more.
1: How did you get around Not In My Neighborhood? uh, Are these pieces of land not near other people's housing?
0: No, so it's a great question. And it's the way I would have you think about dignity moves is kind of like a hack. Um, And that what we have in California, and this is a problem we know about, uh, is California spent the last 30 or 40 years, especially on a local level, uh, putting in regulations and rules and red tape. So that's almost impossible to build anything. And it's almost impossible to um, build anything affordably. And so what you see from the state is they're just trying as much as possible to to throw things at the wall to try to get housing built. And what we see is the homeless are kind of the tip of the iceberg of a larger housing crisis in California. Um, and so what... What, what this is, is that Dignity Moves is kind of, it, it's a hack. It's you, um, the county owns the land. So the county self-permits, it's not city. So you're not going through the city process. And then because it's under the emergency code, there's no community review, which means you're really just kind of going to fire and safety, which means you took this four or five-year process, if you're lucky, to get through. It, it doesn't mean we don't work with neighbors and make sure that everything's fine. And we're in a downtown setting but you're going to fire and safety and then you're done. And so you take this very uncertain, very long process and you shorten it. And that's part of what makes, and then we build up these pop-up housing that costs, you know, with site work, $50,000. And that's the exciting part here.
2: So when you were talking, you said, you know, the term pop-up and in my mind temporary. And so is this a temporary stop on the, on the, you know, kind of cycle from homelessness to housing, or is this a a more permanent solution for the residents?
3: So I think both, right? So pop-ups, and we're doing pop-up projects for Santa Barbara County. Um, These are projects that are three to five years that can then be moved to another site. The goal is to have, uh, you know, folks in these projects, get them stabilized, get them, you know, ready for jobs and then on to permanent supportive housing. Um, Now we also do what's called Home Key, which is funded by the state, which is permanent housing. Um, 15 years, 15 to 20 years. Um, And, you know, those are a little bit different project, um, but using similar modular construction, which is what we use, which is why we can, uh, you know, create these projects and execute these projects in such a short amount of time. So at the end of the five-year
2: period, do, what what do we see happening with the site? New residents coming in, or do we see a kind of a the modulars pulled up and it, it turns
3: into something else, right? So different different models. So at the end of five years, you know, our project in Santa Maria, Hope Village, can go back to the Board of Supervisors, to be extended for another you know 6 months year 5 years you know 3 years or the county could say look we want to build on this land and so we would then move those units to another site that the county has said you know this is what we want to do if there is no site that the county wants to have the modulars moved to then we would just take them and move them to another site that that we would potentially be working on.
2: So it, that's, that's a really creative and innovative in a way that it, it, it is modular, but somewhat permanent housing. And so how does that work the handoff? So you, the Good Samaritan organization is the one that handles the services. So where does Dig- Dignity Moves um, kind of purview and, and the Good Samaritan come on board?
3: So for instance, you know, again, in Santa Barbara County, Dignity Moves is uh, the lessee with the county um, and we own the units and we will be building that project. We're breaking ground on the 28th of April or 25th of April and um, and we build that project and then we will have, we have a use agreement with Good Samaritan. And so Good Samaritan will manage and will provide the services in addition to, you know, that's a 94 unit project. Dignity health has 30 units in that project, 10 of which are for respite care. So they have all ensuite bathrooms and 20 are all accessible uh, units for folks coming out of hospital uh, care, and then coming to the site, uh, you know, after their hospital stay. So and we'll also have on, on this in this project, uh, transitional aged youth units. So that's 18 to 24. So there's a there's a, a few uses that Good Samaritan will be overseeing uh, on this site.
1: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
6: American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do.
5: American Riviera Bank. Bank on better.
6: Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here.
3: Nothing puts a bigger smile on my face than cooking up a big meal for family and friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in America who are struggling with hunger. These children, that's one out of every five, often have to skip meals because there's just nothing to eat in the kitchen. Yet there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food produced right here in America to feed every last hungry child. If only there was a way to get it to them. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids and their families all across our country. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America at your local food bank and at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together,
4: we're Feeding America.
1: A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
4: I'm out of money and my children need food.
1: Dial 211.
4: I'm stressed out and I need someone to talk to.
1: Dial 211.
0: I'm a vet, and I need a resource for supportive
1: services. Dial 211.
5: What's 211?
1: 211 is a simple phone number, and it's free. It's open 24 hours a day in multiple languages, and it's confidential. There's a specialist who provides all kinds of information on health and human services available in your community. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence.
2: And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, Aaron and March, what actually is the goal for the, for these homeless people th- moving through the process? How long do you anticipate them staying in the houses, as well as how long do you you know how long do you see a pop up actually staying?
0: It's a really good question. Uh, we're, our hope is so one in general, people can stay up to a up to a year, uh, and they are as long as they are progressing along with a plan that Good Samaritan creates for them, our hope is that for every one bed that you have two people transition uh, over the course of the year. And the reason why that's important is we've built 34 units here. Uh, We're in the process of building 300 more now because it's been such a success and it, it becomes a math problem. There's about 1,800, 2,000 unsheltered homelessness, uh, people experiencing homelessness in Santa Barbara. And if you just go out like three years and you run through the math of two a year times 334, you get really close to at some point in the next two or three years, if someone hits the streets or suddenly find themselves homeless, there should be a bed available. And you start getting into this idea of functional zero of homelessness. And so our goal is that no one should be, uh, should, that the, the, our streets should not be kind of the waiting rooms. Um, and that not only that, I mean, we, we all love living in Santa Barbara. I think it's heaven on earth. Um, 75% of the homeless community are from Santa Barbara County. These are our community members. This cannot be heaven if we have our community members living outside and there is no place uh, for them to sleep. So our goal is to get to a place where you effectively, there will always be some homeless, but that you have gotten to kind of a functional zero or a place where there's a bed available for everyone who needs it.
2: And so, what do you say to those naysayers that say, you know, a lot of the homelessness is mental illness, and it's no matter no matter what you do, no matter what you provide for some of these people who have mental illness, they're not going to stay on their medicine, they're not going to do what they need to do to stay in a facility such as yours. How do we accommodate those people in our community?
0: So, I mean, it's another great question. What I would tell you is that if you look at the data. Is something like north of 75% of the homeless were victims of child abuse. And so you hear that, and I just, that makes me horrified. That makes me realize that, you know, we're, Marge was mentioning that we're creating an 18 to 24 transitional youth. You know, transitional youth is kind of like a sanitized name. These are kids that are have mainly coming through the foster care system who have nowhere to go. And, you know, all you have to do is check the rents and the cost of living in the Santa Barbara area. And, you know, they're as beautiful as this, you have million dollar homes and you go around and there are families that are like multiple families living in in a, a two room apartment with like six or eight people. And so to me, it is my, our duty to try and help them. And we know that we can help. We know that, one, just having them on the streets does us no good. In a lot of ways, it does us no good. We're using our fire department resources. We're using our police resources. Not only that, many people don't know if there's no place for someone to go and they're in the emergency room, uh, the hospital can't discharge them. And so when you think about when we had COVID raging and the pandemic raging and our hospitals will will fill, there were homeless people in there that had nowhere to go. And so that affects just from the, forget about the the moral and ethical dilemma, just from a cold hard facts, what we're doing makes no sense. Um, Not only is the danger and safety in these people outside or thinking about someone who has mental issues and then has to struggle and live outside Those mental issues are getting worse. And so what what we're doing is creating a roof over their heads and then bringing services to them, individualized care services, where they can treat their mental, they they can be on, uh, you know, be in therapy. You know, most of our residents at the Santa Barbara site are in mental health therapy right now. There And then maybe some of them have to go to long term mental health care facility, you know, and and but they shouldn't be outside, you know, and it, it makes me what makes me very proud is that like over 60 percent of our residents here in Santa Barbara are women who are very much in danger. And a lot of the times you see the substance abuse is happening because they're trying to self medicate for the mental health. So they're all kind of interlinked together. And you they just have no chances. There's no roof and no one helping them.
2: You know, well, Aaron, economically speaking, because we are a show about money, it sounds like what you're saying is that these dignity moves will actually help save the counties that participate money in other social services, whether it be at the hospital or fire or police, etc.
0: Oh, absolutely. You just think about the cost. I mean, if anyone's ever been in the hospital for anything. Think about the cost of them just being in the ER. I mean, it'll pay for it. It should pay for, this should pay for itself within like two or three years by far.
3: And and Aaron brings up a really important point, which is there are people that come to live at, you know, uh, a Dignity Moves project um, and are getting services by the service provider And it is an opportunity to see how these folks can get the best help that they need. And and what he said is absolutely correct. Sometimes people are going into long-term mental health care facilities because that is what they need. Some, Some folks are going into assisted living facilities because that is what they need. And some are getting jobs and becoming productive members of society again uh, because they're getting the help they need if that is their medicine, their medications figured out or whatever the case might be. So it, it really is um, a great opportunity to see people come and many of the people in the downtown Santa Barbara project um, slept in front of the museum. And then you see them in this environment and they look like totally different people because they can take a shower whenever they want. They can wash their clothes whenever they want. They become self-sufficient. And it really, it's it's they're getting empowered and learning how to take care of themselves again.
1: You're listening listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
2: It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit arlingtonfinancialadvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300.
5: There are many sounds in your day-to-day life. There are sounds that wake you up. Sounds that make you smile. Sounds that energize you. And sounds that help you relax. But there are some sounds that can alert you to danger and can help save lives.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits for use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So when you, when you guys talk, you're talking as if there's a solution and you're working towards it. If you read the national newspapers, almost every city has tried something and almost everything has failed. So Is there discussions with other cities and other counties, not only in California, but across the country, about best practices? And and secondly, are you going to keep statistics of what happens when people leave so that you have uh, the numbers to not only help raise money, but to show that this is a solution that's viable?
0: Marge, let me take the first part. You you take the part about the partnerships with other cities, because I want to address this that if you actually study the issue of homelessness and you were to chart out city on a on a chart what you'd find is the easier it is to build and the more housing that's been approved the less homelessness you have west virginia has probably greater rates or the same rates of the opioid epidemic or mental health issues as california does but what does west virginia have um, that in Houston is the same thing they have lots of affordable housing so when people like get hooked on drugs or go through issues there's still a lot of housing it may be like in very poor state but it's housing uh Houston has actually seen enormous progress on their homelessness I want to say I don't have it in front of me but it, like they've reduced their uh, unsheltered population by like 75 or 80 percent. Just by building housing, and just by building as much housing as possible, and then starting to treat people. So I w- I would take issue with that just one claim that 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 you can't solve it or that you can't attack the problem. I think this country, and it's in in homelessness is the tip of the iceberg. We have decided that we do not want to build housing anymore, and it's specifically acute uh, in California. It's just that you know Santa Barbara. The way I say it, Santa Barbara is a microcosm for everything that's going on in California. There's a shortage of land. You have mountains and ocean right next to each other. You can't build past four floors, um, and you just have you know the cost. It's through the roof. You can't build anything. Getting anything through the planning commission and the city is like almost impossible. And so, to me, it's like we need. To kind of shape people and say what we're doing is not good for our society it's not good for our community and we need to start building again um and so i and and to your question on statistics yes we are working with good samaritan we're starting to create monthly reports and we're going to be reporting because one of the ways that we pride ourselves on is results. that like hey we said we were going to build these units in nine months, we built them. It was $50,000 a unit all in. People are in there. They're literally 34 units. the waiting list is 175 people. And so we, we know how many people are getting jobs, how many people are transitioning out. So we're getting all of that data that we can report and raise money. And now I'll pass it on to Marge, who can talk to you about all the conversations we're having with all these other cities.
3: Yeah, we're talking to, I mean, we've got about 600 units in planning right now, 700 units in planning. I mean, we're working all over California, uh, San Bernardino, Thousand Oaks, um, Los Angeles County, the city of Los Angeles, um, up north, Oakland. We're finishing a project in Alameda right now. Um so we have a lot going on. We're also talking to the city of Portland. We're talking to the city of Austin. We're talking to the city of Tucson, the county of Pima County, which is where Tucson is, um, Phoenix, Tempe, Maricopa County, but the cities, Phoenix, Tempe, uh, Mesa. Um, so we are Atlanta, Georgia, very, very keen Um to work with uh, Dignity Moves. But how we are in these various cities outside the state is with business leaders and folks in the community um, that uh, are interested in working with Dignity Moves to further you know, our mission in their community, in their city. And these are people that are connected politically to mayors, you know city council members board of supervisors um they're they're connected you know statewide um so this is how we're kind of getting into some of these other markets you know business leaders and and all up and down you know uh the state i mean we've got right now uh, sonoma county another an, another location we've got five home key projects that um we're working on, which is a state funded, you apply and then you're selected. Um, and then we have other projects that are uh, will be funded through uh, encampment resolution funding that the state has put forward. You know, to Governor Newsom's credit, you know, he has been responsible with other members of the state legislature to pass lot a, a lot of legislation to help expedite the planning and entitlement and and you know approval process of projects on land that may not be zoned for these types of projects. So that's really, really been helpful to so, so do. how
1: how do you d- deal with fundraising you're you're having a fundraiser, let's say in Santa Barbara and do people say is part of my money going to go to Atlanta?
3: Well, you can decide. I mean we we're getting ready to start, um a 50 million dollar capital campaign so that we can kind of take the bull by the horns and put these projects up in locations that really need them um but you know in Santa Barbara County you know we're raising money and Aaron is spe- spearheading that uh that that process here in Santa Barbara County uh, and people are saying I want you know my money to go toward Hope Village in Santa Maria or La Posada and Santa Barbara, or whatever the project is. So there are lots of opportunities for people to decide where their money uh, is going.
0: And and so, Yeah, it's one of the things that, you know, I'm spearheading Santa Barbara. I think Santa Barbara is, uh, we're creating a blueprint because we have government, philanthropy, business, faith-based communities, volunteers all coming together where there's no land. How can this community actually solve homelessness? And we're all coming together. And we're going to build this. And how do you build 34, go from 34 one year to 300? And I think it's going to create shockwaves. And I think we're going to have a blueprint for every city around the country um, uh, that they can model, that we can help them with.
1: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and believe it or not, we'll be right back.
6: American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that they really gave it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera
5: Bank. Bank on better.
2: Hello, I'm Diane Duva. And I'm Neil Kreisel. And we're inviting you to join us Mondays at 2 p.m. right here at AM 1290 for Money Talk. The radio program that
1: talks about finance, financial planning, and wealth management strategies.
2: So please join us Mondays at 2 and 11 p.m., Tuesdays at 4 a.m., and Saturdays at 6 p.m. for Money Talk right here at KZSB AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, uh, obviously, the more money you get, the more you can do. Uh, Are there any uh, fundraising events or opportunities for our listeners?
0: We don't have any fundraising events right now. I will say that we there is a our groundbreaking for our next Santa Barbara County project. I believe it's Thursday, April 25th in Santa Maria um, at 9 a.m. Um, but we're happy to give tours, to, to arrange tours for anyone. I'm happy to meet with anyone. Uh, we're already having a tremendous outpouring for our Santa Barbara campaign. And it's one of the things I I'm most grateful to live in this community is I know this community is very generous. And we you just have to show people that this can be done. And we're just seeing a, a, a fantastic response.
1: Does your website, does your website have a place to donate?
3: Yes. And I was just gonna say if people want to learn more about dignity moves, they can go to dignitymoves.org. And they can see everything that we're doing dignity now is the santa barbara uh project it's called dignity now and they can also donate on the website
2: so aaron i i have to ask before we have to go you know let our listeners know that you are the author of the heartbreak the case for the 24 6 lifestyle so tell us about your book a little bit and where we can get it if we're interested
0: well you could get on amazon thank you for mentioning it um and so what it, What I'm making the, in the book is I'm making the case, the business case for the Sabbath. And that the way that we conduct ourselves and that, that we're on basically on call with our phones and computers to every single personal and professional contact we've almost ever made, um, and that where we have access to that plus the entire internet and we're being inundated with news and information on every waking hour is really bad for you. And not only is it really bad for you, it's bad for you mentally, it's bad for your health, um, but it's also bad for your decision-making. You know, More and more, especially with the rise of artificial intelligence and technology, it's not about knowing the facts. It's not about consuming more information it's actually about how do i make better decisions and if you make, frankly if you make a good decision one or two good decisions every month or two you're you're on a pretty good path and so and not only that the other part and so what i have in the book is like 200 footnotes of scientific studies etc i tell stories of people across faith-based you know communities from uh, Jewish people, Christian, Mormon, Atheist, et cetera, who practice different forms of the Sabbath and seen tremendous success. But one of my like favorite points in the book is, more and more, it's about being innovative and about being creative. And it turns out that when you're daydreaming or you're just not actively engaged and busy, that your brain, there's a part of your brain called the default mode network that goes and uh, processes all the information. So while you think like you're not even doing anything, your brain's trying to understand what it's consumed. And so what's so fascinating about that, and and then it comes up with solutions. Do you think about having the proverbial idea in the shower or you're going for a walk uh, and all of a sudden your solution hits you? And that's the more busy you are, the more you're running around like crazy. Uh, so the I have to I have to I have to cut yeah. you
1: off. I have to cut you off. we're We're running out of time. Thank you so much, Marge. Marge is one of the most successful real estate developers in town, and she's given all to this wonderful charity. And Aaron, who is an investor and entrepreneur and obviously a fantastic spokesperson, is taken the lead in making this case. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week.